This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones and with me as he is every single show is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, as you were showing me just before we hit record, you're wearing your judge's pants today, you said. I I am, Chris. Uh, We have an important segment coming up, as everyone knows, where you're going to judge a book by its cover. And I figured it was a good time to pull out the judge's pants. <laughs> but I thought judges wear robes. So have you taken your robe off and it's just the pants that are underneath? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, people are, are shocked by that. Yes, judges actually do wear special judges' pants. Yes, and I think our British listeners are going to be especially concerned about this, Matthew. Yes, so for them, I'm wearing my judges' trousers. In okay. America, right. I'm wearing my judges' pants. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up for everyone. Yeah, I didn't want anybody to think something really weird was happening here, Chris. So that's why they use cameras when they record. (laughs) (laughs) Is that going to be a new Patreon thing, Chris? Oh, it might be. (laughs) If you're a patron of Patreon, you can watch the recording happen live. (laughs) Well, that actually is a perk on Patreon. So uh, we do need to be careful here about the uh, the pants. Make sure we've got the right uh, dialect. Yeah, definitely. Good call. All right. So in today's show, we have a special guest. Charlene Schmidt from To The Journey is joining us to talk about Mosaic and Janeway. Before that, we've got a few new stories that we want to go through quickly here. And last time, or maybe the week before, Matthew, we talked about David R. George III's next DS9 novel, Sacraments of Fire. And he had given us a few teasers at that point, but now we have more. Chris, this is really exciting. The blurb has been released for this book. And what makes it so exciting is the fact that we are going to be following up on those story threads that were left hanging in Revelation of Dust. You know, we had this strange Bajoran character come out of the wormhole called Altec, and then we haven't heard from him since. And so David is going to be following up with this whole idea. And what's so crazy is that when we think that the last time somebody came out of the wormhole like this was to reassure Benjamin Sisko of his place as the emissary. And so the whole question is, well, what purpose has Altec been sent out of the Celestial Temple? I think this is fantastic. They're really going to follow up on this storyline and, and kind of give us some of these answers. And, and maybe, Chris, you know, we're going to dive into, it sounds like, some more of this prophet lore. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get some more on on exactly why Benjamin is no longer needed as the emissary he's done I don't know. There there seems to be a lot there, and I'm really excited to be diving into it with another Deep Space Nine book, Chris. We are just getting flooded with them. It's awesome. We really are. Yeah, this sounds really interesting. Also, I have a feeling now, I'm pretty sure, wasn't Altec one of the great tech companies of the 1980s? I think that this Bajoran was on Earth in the 80s. He was the CEO of Altec, and then now he went back to the Celestial Temple. So... You know, there was a lot of profit interference in events on Earth in the past. Yeah, it's strange to think that the leader of Altec may or may not have been a prophet. We'll have to wait until Sacraments of Fire comes out to find out if it's true. What if his mother was also Sarah? Wow, she gets around. 
All right, so that is Sacraments of Fire. The next one we have here is the blurb for David Mack's third entry in the Seeker series, Seekers 3 Long Shot, which is out next August. Well, this is really cool because the ship, the Sagittarius, which is the one that we follow that's with the little one, writing, right? that's right, uh, is going to be picking up some sensor readings from an alien world where the natives efforts to harness a dangerous and unstable technology have thrown the laws of probability out of balance. Wow. That just seems exciting right there. Sounds like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Are they trying to power their entire planet with improbability? That seems really dangerous because you never know where your planet would end up. Exactly. Or what time or any of it because it's improbable. (laughs) So yeah, this does It might turn into a bowl of petunias. Exactly. Uh, Now- I feel like I shouldn't place any bets on this book, Chris, if the laws of probability are going out the window. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I am excited because I really do enjoy the Seekers books and the Sagittarius crew is a lot of fun. They're very quirky and I can't wait to get into to more of their storyline here with Captain Clark Terrell and his, his group of miscreants. I'm waiting for you to come to the recording session dressed in your green Sagittarius jumpsuit. That would be some great cosplay for like a a convention that only like three people would get. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) They would go, what, are you a janitor? Do you work here? You're a Starfleet janitor? (laughs) Don't you recognize the uniform? God, represent, fool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So those are two new blurbs out. And now the segment that everyone has been waiting for, judge a book by its cover. Judge a book by cover. Judge a book by cover. I don't know. Anyway, I wish everyone could see the hand bobbing that you're doing right well, you, now. You got to get it right, Chris. You you can't you can't skimp on the on the the head bob or or no. else it doesn't come out right for the microphone. It doesn't have everything. the right feeling yeah, with all it. It really doesn't. Bob, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this is really exciting, Chris. We're going to be judging Takedown by John Jackson Miller, his brand new book. It'll be coming out soon. It'll be here before we know it. And of course, this is the one with uh, Captain Picard um, finding out that these attacks that have been happening across the Federation have been perpetrated, apparently, by William T. Riker. And who knows what's going to happen. This book has a cover that. I don't, I don't even think sufficiently exciting is a strong no. enough term. No, I, I gave this one an 11. Yeah. I, I just it, turned it, the excitement up to 11 on this. Yeah, I, I feel like this is warp 10. I mean, we're everywhere at once on this novel. It's it's a great cover. It's It's got the Aventine, like you're, you're seeing the bottom side of the ship as it flies up on the cover and mm-hmm. it looks like a, phaser beam is blowing something up there you know right below it it's just it really is an exciting cover and it 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 leaves me breathless just waiting for this book yeah and you can even get the sense like you feel the motion in the cover right like the aventine is just zipping by from the bottom to the top and blowing something up so it is a really really cool cover yeah and it leaves me very excited for this book because uh, with this kind of excitement on the cover and, and knowing what the storyline is, it just sounds so cool with Picard and Riker going head to head, you know, kind of the mm-hmm. way that they they really wanted to work in Generations where it was Kirk and Picard going head to head. So this is about as close as we'll ever get, I think. And plus, you are a big fan of John Jackson Miller's writing outside of Star Trek. And so I know that you have great anticipation for what he's going to do here. I do. I, I really enjoyed his book, Kenobi. He's written some great Star Wars comics as well. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what he'll do in a full-length novel here with these characters. And we both enjoyed his, his e-novella, his Titan e-novella, Absent Enemies. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, this one with this cover, knowing the author, I, I think it's just going to be fantastic. Definitely. So that's all we have in news. So let's go ahead and bring in Char and talk about Mosaic. 
Well, Chris, in 1996, Jerry Taylor gave us her first Star Trek novel. And it was, of course, about the one, the only, Captain Janeway. And with this novel, she really wanted to fill in the backstory, the compelling life story, as the blurb says, of Captain Catherine Janeway, the commander of Starship Voyager. In Mosaic, we find Janeway. She's on a desperate battle between two fronts with a Kazon warship. Wait, oh my God, Kazon? I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared yeah. of it just Kazon. sitting here. Yeah. Uh, and then her away team is uh, trapped on the planet while she's forced to relive some of you know, her most important life decisions. It's kind of like that episode that will not be named on Enterprise. You just ruined uh, it. Ex- except you unfortunately, just ruined the- I'm, I'm out of yeah. here. Screw it. Yeah. And as everyone can tell, if you haven't already noticed, I want to welcome, and I'm really excited for this, is our one only Charlene Schmidt from To The Journey. To the journey. So glad to have you here. <laughs> hey. To The Journey! Well, thank you so much, you guys, for having me. I am very excited to be talking Mosaic with you guys tonight. Well, we couldn't talk about Mosaic without you here, Char. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, again, very good to be here. Okay, guys. Well... This is a first, because this is the first book that's ever been written by one of the Star Trek creators about one of the characters. And for the longest time, and I don't know what it's considered now, but it was kind of quasi-canon because it was written by Mm -hmm. Jerry Taylor. And so that this was the backstory for the character of Janeway. And so as we kind of dive in, just it's all about these first impressions with Janeway here. And this is also Jerry's first book what impressions does this book leave you with? Ooh, such a loaded question. I have to, I have to start <laughs> That's what with Riker what said. I thought. <laughs> I have to start with where, uh, where, where, when I read it for the first time back in 96, when Voyager was still airing, when this was a very big deal because it was yeah. Jerry Taylor, one of the writers of the show. And just for the record, yes, I do consider this book canon because Jerry Taylor did write it and a lot of things that she put into the book are canon because they eventually did make the show. So when this thing came out, I remember plowing through it in probably a day. I mean, I went to the bookstore because, yes, we still had them back then, for one thing. Go B. Dalton! <laughs> Actually, yeah, I was it was Walden say, Books. I, I think I got this at like a <laughs> yeah. Walden Books at the mall. You know, yeah. like, it's that long yeah, ago. Yeah, at the yeah. mall. I mean, where else would you get books at that time, Matt? <laughs> Going the to the yes. mall. I tell today. you what, it was the only place for me in Little Casper, Wyoming. We had two bookstores and one was Walden Books in the mall. Not any longer, but hey, that's definitely the world we live in. Anyway, so I went to the bookstore the day it came out, plowed through it, spent the whole day reading it, and I was so excited and I was so thrilled to be reading it, and I loved it. I, you know, I couldn't get enough. I was just going to chew chew it up no matter what was in this book. I loved it, loved it, loved it. As years have gone on, I've been able to have an older perspective, well, allegedly wiser. And certainly with time, uh, we have Voyager finishing its run and then the years thereafter for more reflection. And I don't regard this book quite as highly as I did back then, just yeah. because of what I have kind of learned over time in my own life or just from growing up or just, yeah, I have issues with some of the ways that Jerry Taylor writes Janeway, but we're going to get into all that. So those are my impressions. How about you guys? Well, I'm with you and actually I'm glad you brought it up because reading this at the time that it came out is a completely different experience than reading it now because this came out October 1996. So we were into what, second season of Voyager, or were we into third. the third technically because the third. first one was was a half season, really? And at that point in time, learning more about the backstory of Janeway from the woman who created the character in the first place was really interesting because it was helping you flesh out the show that you were watching. Reading it now, after we know Janeway's entire story. And of course, in the literary universe, we know what Kirsten's been doing with her since. Mm-hmm. And we know how the Kazon turned out as well. True. This book, it's a lot weaker for me now than it was at the time that I was reading it in 1996. I'm glad you brought that up. If you do what I did, and maybe you guys did the same exact thing in preparation for the podcast, you read Mosaic to refresh yourself. 
And I just finished Acts of Contrition by Kirsten Byer, her latest Voyager novel. And the level of storytelling is very different. Kirsten Byer is on a different plane oh, yeah. than Jerry yeah, Taylor. Yeah. One yeah. thing, too, I'm with both of you because, you know, reading this book back in 96 when it came out, you know, I probably would have, if they had had good reads back then, it probably would have been a five star, you know, just because yeah. this is the first time that any of the creators had given us an official backstory for a character like this, you know, unless we just found it out, you know, in Deep Space Nine, we find out a lot about the characters just from the show, their backgrounds and everything. In fact, the whole beginning of the first episode is all about the background of Cisco and and why he's in the position he's in now. With the other shows, you know, we're just kind of dumped in and we we don't find out a lot about the characters. Um, I think the only other show that maybe kind of gives us more background is is Enterprise with Archer. We we really kind of get to know this guy and where he's come from. And but it's not on the level of what they did with Cisco. Oh no! And so this was just by and large probably one of the coolest things to have happened to a Star Trek fan in 1996 because Voyager is still very new. It it, it hasn't um, you know it it's still there. You know, like it still has all this potential as a show you know it hasn't it hasn't lost me yet you know and <laughs> and to get this i'm thinking okay this is fantastic you know we're we're gonna really get to know this captain and this character now obviously i'm with you char i obviously have just read acts of contrition we talked to kirsten and the storytelling and where janeway is now is just on a wholly different level mm-hmm. but i also have to realize that jerry taylor writing this book is is very much bound like the people who wrote the numbered novels. You can't really do too much with the characters because there's still seasons and seasons to come. And so you have to be very careful with what you do and how big you make the story. So she's right. really, you know, yeah, yeah. she's she's bound by those same rules. Whereas, you know, Kirsten has really free reign with the characters. And so it's it's not quite fair to compare them. And yet I can't help but do that because... <laughs> The yeah. storytelling we're getting with Kirsten's books is just brilliant. And the storytelling we got in Mosaic feels like pretty decent episode of Voyager. Right. Yeah. Well, what it feels like to me is, what it feels like is what it actually is, which is that Jerry Taylor is the person who created the character of Janeway. So as she was creating the character, she has in her mind the backstory of this character and then she uses that to set up where she wants to take the character. So we're in the beginning of the third season of Voyager on television when this book is published. And so what we basically get is a fleshed out version of everything that she had established in her mind as the backstory of this character she created. And the book ends up with Janeway in the present day, right? This is what's propelling her forward where Jerry's going to take the character. And so it's it's almost not like, it's not the type of story that Kirsten's writing. This is just, it's just a character story to fill in the blanks so that you'll get more out of the television series over the coming seasons. I have to totally agree with you. Matt, I'm glad you said that it almost isn't fair to compare, even though we all did. But yeah. Well, we compared it in our mind because we can't help, but when we read it now, we can't help but judge it by everything else we know. It's true. But let's face it, a book like this kind of helped pave the way for Kirsten Beyer to have the freedom to do what she's doing. And therefore, I can't really knock Jerry Taylor on that too hard because, yeah, as long as the show was going on, they had to have those self-contained yeah. pieces, just like the show. Well, and... and- it 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 made me sad kind of reading the book and realizing this is this is great character stuff you know you're we're actually kind of diving into the the psyche of of this captain and we're really getting to understand why is Janeway the way she obsessed is obsessed with her hair uh, yes, <laughs> yes we one must obsessed talk with about her the hair okay we'll get but, to that but, later though because yeah. there's a lot to talk about there so let's not sidetrack we'll yet. fill a whole so hour she's she's, she's not only <laughs> somebody who's obsessed with her hair, but she is somebody who has this compulsion that she has to save people. And, and she, she's, mm-hmm. she treats her crew as a family in a way that we hadn't maybe seen in a while. 
in Star Trek. And okay, why is this? Well, Jerry gives us all those reasons. And so that's one of the things that I thought was really cool, but also sad because the show itself never really dived that deep usually into their characters as Jerry does in this book. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just maybe turn this into, you know, a three-part episode on Voyager so we can actually get all this great backstory and do that with all the characters because we have the time to explore them as they're exploring the Delta Quadrant. And so it, it, it left me feeling this is where Voyager could have done some really cool things. And yeah. Let me ask you guys. So the backstory, everything with the Kazon, this whole, you know, life or death situation with Kazon and all is just the framework for the actual story. And the actual story is everything that happens to Janeway from her childhood forward. So all those scenes that we get with Janeway growing up and finally becoming an officer, that's the actual book. Whereas the rest of that is just there and the Delta Quadrant is just there to give us, it's, it's just your run of the mill every week, Star Trek episode. Oh no, we're stuck on a planet. Kazon and trying Slow to Slow Tuesday. Which is interesting <laughs> because the audiobook version of this, which is abridged, focuses exclusively on the Delta Quadrant stuff, like almost exclusively, and leaves out the majority of the, the Janeway growing up parts, at least that's how I felt about the audio version. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I listened to the audio version just a couple days ago and was really, really sad by just how much they really cut out. Well, it's because that's like, here's a Voyager episode. And this book is not, that's not what's important in this book. So, Mm -hmm. but the question I have for you guys is, Matthew, you said that this is very interesting character stuff. I think it is interesting to get this information about the background of a character, but I would ask you, is this compelling character information that we're getting? Are the stories being told, like each time we go into her childhood, was this stuff really pulling you along? Did you find it that compelling? I think it would have been more compelling, and and I guess this is a great time to get into the structure of the book. It would have been better, I think, if the whole story hadn't been anything to do with the Delta Quadrant. If it had just been, this is the life story of Captain Janeway. This is how she gets to be the person you know right. in the Delta Quadrant, which, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that a lot. And So uh, just it, rip out every chapter that's taking place in the Delta Quadrant. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can add more depth to what she's writing happening in the other parts of her life, it, you mm-hmm. know, from, from a child and onward to becoming, you know, an officer and then pursuing command and all of that that would give you more space because Jerry's having to waste time with creating this kind of reason for, for Janeway to have these dreams start happening in the first place and all this. I mean, it's just this mumbo jumbo. It's like, just give us this storyline of Captain Janeway before she's Captain Janeway. Give us the story of baby Janeway. Yes. So that, you know, (laughs) I can, I can understand, you know, how, you know, Kath becomes Captain Catherine Janeway. And I think mm-hmm. that would be really fantastic. So what do you guys think? Do, do you think that might work better if, if Jerry had just done, you know, the autobi I mean, the biography of, of, you know, baby Janeway? I kind of wonder if maybe Jerry Taylor was forced to have the Kazon plot integrated with the Janeway story because I don't know if I were Jerry Taylor and I had created this character All I would want to do is get to the meat of this story and talk about Captain Janeway. But instead, we're kind of, I feel like it's filler, this whole Delta Quadrant story. It really isn't that unique. It doesn't go into a whole lot of depth. I mean, at best, it's a segue. But really, the more that I read this book, the more I'm just, let's just get to it. Yeah, I think you're right, Char, that I can see Pocket at the time saying that we've got to have this Kazon storyline. You've got to have like a normal Voyager episode narrative mixed in here. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, no one's going to buy this book, which I don't (laughs) think is true. But I can see people in charge at the time saying that. I can see the publisher feeling that way. And I think that with anyone else, the author would have to acquiesce and say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll work this other story in there. I feel like Jerry Taylor should have had enough power to say, you know, I think people are going to buy this because it's the backstory of Janeway. 
So let me just focus on that. So I don't, I don't know if I really buy that that was the case in actuality. Well, and the, and the main problem with it is as well is that those dramatic moments that happen in Janeway's life that really shape her don't they're they're not given enough time in the novel yeah. because we're having to do this time jumping you know so you know when her father dies and and when her fiance dies at, at the same time you know in, on a mission that she's on and she's the only person that survives from it which lucky her um <laughs> it, it, which it doesn't make any sense that she would be the only one to survive but i i think that that's the kind of thing like you really have a place to really dive in here and, and, and dig deep into this character and, and her roots. And we don't get a chance to do that because we have to keep jumping back to the Delta Quadrant in the present time with, like Char said, a story that is so run-of-the-mill and doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it's it's kind of just a vanilla, mundane Voyager story that mm-hmm. we were getting in the, in the first place on TV. Whereas right. having a backstory of a character, like you said, Chris... Gosh, any Star Trek fan would have would have just jumped at that because this has never again this never happened before to have a writer who's created the character actually write you know a, yeah. a book about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and as well received as this book was at the time, I think it would have been even better received had it just been a very focused, concentrated book just on Janeway and. Yeah, let's free up all of that space and go into the real heart of the matter, which is the fact that Janeway is actually a very wounded person. She suffered a lot of loss in her past. You know, she lost her father, she lost her Mm -hmm. fiancé, Justin, and then she loses pretty much everybody else that she loves by being swooped over into the Delta Quadrant and having to cope with that. Of course, that's where the whole issue of her wanting to save her crew and the fact that she's so willing to self-sacrifice comes in throughout the show well let's delve into that well so in that sense i had thought about all those aspects except for the fact that she got them stuck there in the first place but actually that set jerry's setting up the reason why she destroys the caretaker in the first place because she feels this need to save the okampa mm-hmm. right she just needs to save people yeah she yeah. has a superman complex and and it's and it comes well, you, from this. I, I will this, tell you right now, Superman, he has way better hair than Janeway. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Who doesn't, um, right? It, it Especially is, according to Captain Janeway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of interesting, and and I think that's what the real meat of the story is. And Chris, you were asking, you know, is this a meaty story? Well, yes, but just not the way it's given to us. The bare bones of it is is something that really does inform the character. The way it's portrayed in the book, it, it's not. It, well, it, I was asking it if it's a compelling story. So even the bits that we get about Janeway, are they really compelling? But as you said a moment ago, Matthew, if there were more time to go into them, maybe they would be more so. Because it's sort of like we're in the Delta Quadrant, and then Janeway can't hit a tennis ball over the net, and she's really <laughs> upset about it. And then we're back in the Delta Quadrant again with Kazon trying to get them in caves. Mm. And now we're in a haunted house in Ohio. And then we're back in the Delta Quadrant again. Yeah, it is a lot of back and forth, isn't it? Like, Meanwhile, back in the Delta Quadrant. Right. Yeah, Ensign Kim is looking around in a cave. Ooh, Captain Janeway walking home in oh, the rain. Yeah. So I, I guess what I feel is that m- maybe if the next chapter had been spent continuing that part of her childhood and and Jerry had gone deeper there, it would have been more compelling. Now, what do you well, guys what do you guys think overall of how Jerry Taylor just in general portrays Janeway as a person? Do you like the way that she's portrayed? Do you think it's a good way to portray her? Or does she kind of make Janeway look bad? I'm okay with a lot of it, although there are a lot of times where, and this is why I said the story is basically the ideas that she had to build the character fleshed out a bit. You know, there are a lot of things in here too where I just feel they're kind of stereotypical. Like, here's something that happens to people in their life, so let's make it happen to Janeway. Mm-hmm. And that explains why she acts the way she does on the show. Mm-hmm. And again, more time to flesh it out might have avoided that feeling right yeah there's a lot of those earlier snippets where it just feels like a moment 
oh, I'm, I want to please daddy, but daddy is busy. And therefore, I'm going to strive yeah. even harder to please daddy. It, yeah. One criticism I do have of the what Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is it's kind of a series of her relationships, which, sure, we all have that in our lives, and it is something that should be brought up. But I think that is not a complete thing. Yeah. I think there needs to be sure. so much more, especially for somebody as you know ambitious and smart. I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends. Sure. And, and that's, that's just where you're wrong. Even in the 24th century, it's still all about the hair, about the hair, about the <laughs> hair. And you don't know why? Because you got to get the boy, get the boy, get the oh, boy. God. That's all that matters. Come on. Even in the 24th century. <laughs> it, it's about the I hair mean, because she got no base. Like we were talking about on the right. other side of the room. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it. you bring up a fantastic point here, Char. And I, I think Jerry Taylor, the, the reason that this book doesn't quite, I'll say it, congeal on, on you know, it, as, a, as a whole storyline is because she's used to writing for TV. Not, mm. I think. Right. A, yeah, you I can think feel that closer. very much. Yeah. And, and yeah. therefore, you know, the things that she is coming up with, if they're given to the right type of author, like if, if Kirsten Beyer took the basic storyline from Jerry and filled it in, it'd be fantastic. Oh, no yeah. doubt. You know, Jerry is used to, to writing for, I, I hate to say this, because not all TV is like this, but for a dumbed down audience. And, and Voyager kind of dumbs it down and with Star well, Trek. Well, because you have in, limited in time too. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, yeah. There, there is a framework that you have to work within when you write for television. And you can feel that. I mean, this yeah. is snappy. I mean, it, yeah. the book is, is just flying by instead of it taking its time to dive into those details that are really important for the character and creating more unique situations for Janeway than like you said, Chris, those kind of stereotypical Oh, I've got bad hair. Oh, I've got boy problems. Oh, uh, daddy's not home. You know, I mean, seriously, is this is this a CW show? You know, like, um, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, yeah, it's a sitcom. The, the boy problem bit, I didn't quite understand the purpose of that really, other than maybe that's why she's scared to get close to Chakotay because she's afraid then she'll lose him. I don't know the part about her dad not being around. I can understand that to be driving her ambition and and she's seeking approval. And when she's a child and like she's crouched under his desk and they're playing, you know, that all mm -hmm. seemed, I can understand that, you know, that's a father-daughter uh, situation at home. When she's an adult and she's still kind of like, I just want you to be proud of me, daddy. It's like, by that point, even oh. if he's not been around because he's been stationed, you know, for this Cardassian thing that's going on, I would think that someone as strong as Janeway is supposed to be as a character, that wouldn't be an issue for her anymore at that age. Amen. Okay, anytime a grown woman says daddy, and it's not in an like a really like super emotional moment, like had she said it like after he had died or something, maybe like if you know, when you a person breaks down, they'll sometimes revert, like almost regress in that session and you're suddenly like a little girl, oh I miss daddy so much. But no, it's more like I'm 18 years old and daddy, I want to please you so much still. Well, okay, great. You just gave her daddy issues and I don't appreciate that. <laughs> because so yeah. many Voyager characters have daddy issues to begin with. It's kind of the daddy issue show. This is yet another character who has this problem. And um, I don't know if Jerry Taylor really is into Freudian, or Freudian psychology or something, but it kind of seems like it's leaning that way. You know, I think Dr. Chaotica had daddy issues, too. They've all got Probably. daddy issues, That's I why think. he really responded to Arachnid, Queen of the... Yeah. You know. Yeah, so... Uh, okay, I think you really hit on something that's important here, too, Char. And, and, and it, you even see it today. It is very difficult to write a strong, confident woman mm -hmm. like Chandler would hear about as he falls asleep and friends. You are a strong, confident woman. Um, <laughs> but gosh darn it, people it, like you. will like you, yeah. yeah. But, okay, it is hard to do that and still have uh, her not come off either as witchy or as as um, somebody who's, you know, too emotional and then seen as, you know, weak. Yeah, Which is oh, unfortunate yeah. because, you know, 
we have really bought into those stereotypes that you can only be one or the other, that there's no in-between. We've also done it with the men as well, so that when you write a character like Janeway, we're always kind of judging her as, well, but why is she so whiny or whatever? Well, half the book, you know, she is, she's four, and then she's like 10, and then she's like 14, and then she's like 18, and you know, so it's a young girl going through her life, and she's figuring out who she is, you know, and and I can kind of go with that, that she's not going to be that strong character that I know, obviously, from Voyager, because this is supposed to be about how she becomes that character, not that she was this all along. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just a real struggle we see, especially in sci-fi type literature and, and in Star Trek, is to have really strong, confident women in them come off really well. And... It almost seems like I wish they had taken some notes on how a character like Kira was written and and transplanted that a little bit to Janeway and given her some of that kind of strength. Because Kira can be very, like, she'll yell at you. I mean, there's your wormhole, you know? <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, she can also break down and, and, and be vulnerable yeah. and be, a, you know, and be a sexy woman all at the same time. So... It's really hard to do that because Janeway on the show was supposed to be the captain. Yeah. It, yeah, and that's a different they're writing that level, line, right? you know? Yeah, they're writing that line all the time. How do we make her seem like a confident, strong captain, but also not witchy, but at the same time, you know, not just a weak emotional thing, you know? I, right. I don't envy that. Well, and I don't think they ever figured that out. No, no, and, and I was just part of that say goes that. to her hair. Yeah, they yeah. struggle with that throughout the whole series, and I think since it was a show of the '90s, I really, I think they just really didn't have a clue. And this is not a criticism of Jerry Taylor, but I think her generation especially had trouble defining what a strong woman really is. And so she's trying to walk all those lines and do it effectively, but it doesn't happen. And therefore, mm -hmm. I think if Janeway were written today uh, and it, it was for a Voyager TV series, it would be incredibly different. And it would be a lot more like Akira, where yeah. she's going to scream and she's going to cry, but she's going to be the strong leader. People are going to respect her. No, no problem with or like just, you know, uh, with no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, people won't even think twice. And yes, she'll be feminine, but she'll also be have, you know, she'll be very hard on the exterior because she's got to have a thick skin to do her job and you can be that complete person but I think for the time especially with all the pressure that they were getting with the whole female captain thing blowing up when the show debuted I think that also had an after effect where they're trying to be incredibly delicate about it and therefore failing miserably yeah I think when you're trying to please everybody you end up pleasing nobody right, right. you know that that's what and that's what I appreciated. And, and, and let's get into it. You know, this book is all about Jamie talking about how much she hates her hair and, and the hair is mentioned all the time. You know, I, I really I did want to ask you guys, I really feel like Jerry Taylor has some kind of hair hang up. She because does. I started highlighting every time Janeway complains about her hair or the fact that someone else has better hair than she does or just comments <laughs> on how nice someone's hair is. What, or, what is going on with the hair? It's just hair comments in general. It, it doesn't really matter who it's about. I mean, she comments on everybody's hair, especially Janeway's, but you've also got Hobbs' hair, Volky, Hobbs Johnson, his awful long hair, and it's unkempt. Right. And yeah, I think Jerry I, I Taylor was, has a hair issue. I was just waiting for Kathy to make a comment that her dog has better hair than she does. <laughs> I was surprised that this... I, I seriously thought she was going to say it at some point because... It's just so constant throughout the book, these comments about hair. And, and actually, Char, I asked you about this on iMessage the other day. And, and you did make a comment that was interesting. Do you feel like Jerry's putting all of this into the book to comment on the fact that they keep messing around with her hair on the show? Boom. I think that's exactly it. She's projecting that issue into the book. So I think all the issues that they had with the hair on the set kind of manifested in Jerry Taylor's brain and it's it's either giving her issues or she's just making kind of a funny comment like an insider joke to those of us who knew what was happening over behind the scenes over and over and over and over yeah <laughs> it's a bit much 
but I, maybe it's some combination of those two things. Yeah. Well, you know, what was great about the book is that you, Janeway, we didn't know this, but she had gone on a date with Will Riker, and yeah. he has luscious hair as well. Uh, and you know, and luckily, and, and we notice in the book, you know, we never hear about the Riker maneuver being, you know, performed on on Janeway because if if he had propped that leg up, it would have been all over. She would have been like, "All right, let's have babies. I'm not going to space. <laughs> You're my guy. Let's do this." So, when she meets Mark for the first time, right, he reminds her of Will Riker. Is that right? Or, or Will Riker reminds her of no. Chubb, actually. That's what it Chubb, is. Chubb, yep. Her Will Chubb Riker reminds yeah. her of Chubb. And I, I was thinking What a great that, name, Chubb. I know, yeah. I was thinking <laughs> I just that. want to be like, what's up, Chubb? <laughs> it's better than Yo, Packer, because anytime I think of that, I think of Todd Packer from The Office, who is oh, definitely a character yes. of ill repute. <laughs> I'm thinking that when, when they all go hang out with Chubb, they call it going Chebbing. Nice. I'd go check. That just sounds like a terrible euphemism, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's a but new what, version of the Riker maneuver. Was that <laughs> yeah. One reason that Riker reminded her of Chubb so much is that I think Chubb probably also stepped over the back of chairs when he sat down. Mm. And then she yeah, saw probably. Riker doing it and she mm-hmm. thought, Chubb, is that you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if they were to have a chair off, Riker would definitely <laughs> win. Do you, do, you think, do you think Riker just sits around in, in his quarters there at Starfleet Academy practicing, you know, the, the chair maneuver and, and, oh, and yeah. propping his leg up on things? He's got There's, him, like, stationed all around the room. There's, like, a pattern. You just walk around. <laughs> you step over. You step over. It's like a little obstacle course. There are varying shapes and sizes yeah. so he doesn't trip. He's very smooth about it. I think that's yeah. how he actually got through the Academy. Probably. Uh, that and, and I, I, I always feel like Riker... In the academy, is probably a little bit like Joey from Friends. He just walks <laughs> yeah. up and like, "How you doing?" <laughs> yeah. He goes up to the goes up to the professor's desk with his paper. You know, he got a B. Goes up to her desk, props his leg up on the desk, and goes, "So, gave me a B, did you?" <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Watch That's that how Riker turn makes into it. An a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's exactly oh, how he graduated with honors through the academy. <laughs> Well, and I think that this is one of those things, again, where the book really could have been something really interesting if we had just had more time in those scenes, because everything is just so rushed there. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I I would have loved to have seen just more in depth on all of this, because Chris, you know, you were just talking about, is it compelling? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, if we maybe had more time in this scene, it could become compelling, you know, right. um, yeah. but I'm having to rush through it so much that I'm, I'm missing the, the real gravitas that could come from this. So, uh, and, and even just the scene, I thought it was great. It, it was a fun little background on the character of Riker. You know, Jerry worked on The Next Generation, so she understands Riker and, and kind of getting that picture that he he's a fun-loving guy, and yet he is also somebody who's very serious and, and was obviously a very good student as well in the academy um, and very confident even then which who wouldn't be when you can just step over a chair and she's yours (laughs) (laughs) he's very smooth that Riker (laughs) okay so one of the biggest parts and and I think the, the the pinnacle moment for Janeway is when she loses her father and Justin, who is her fiancé, at the same time on a mission that they're on. And this whole thing of of losing people in her life that are so important to her uh, really comes into play. On top of that, you also have this thing of that she ends up in relationships with the people that she dismisses at the beginning, which I also thought was interesting. So uh, she dismisses Justin at the beginning because he's a he's she thinks he's a jerk and all those kind of things, but ends up in a relationship with him. She dismisses Hobbs from the beginning of her life uh, while while they're at school and everything, and ends up that turns out to be Mark, who she's in a relationship with at the beginning of the show. So, is there hope for Chakotay? At this point, I would say mm. Mm, a good, a very strong maybe. Because they were still playing with that at the time. 
But don't forget, Char, that at this point, the monkey is already in the picture. <laughs> this is so true. So that's a variable that you that was not involved in her past relationships. Yeah, I think she's not quite sure how to cope with this new variable. And right. she's still kind of trying to weed that out. So now I can see her, like, she'll have to be imagining it of course because she lost her father but i can see her running and saying like daddy daddy i did it i solved the monkey variable i did oh, it God. <laughs> <laughs> well no. maybe it's just that there was a there was a at this point like there's a really popular song from the 21st century we have now too it's just call me maybe i just i don't know jacote maybe we'll we'll see how it goes well they maybe, do maybe each when we get back to the looks on the bridge sometimes in episodes like all yeah, the time, and yeah. Longingly looking at each other, look at the, and she's thinking he has so much better hair than I do. Yeah, and a tattoo. I mean, yeah. Dang, God, he's so badass. Well, and you know what the <laughs> and novel Chakotay describes. Is thinking, if I could just airlock that monkey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go Captain Archer on that monkey. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put a bunch of bananas in the airlock and see if I can lure him down there. <laughs> I'm I think sorry, the monkey's Kathy, it's smarter. It's not my than fault. That. It's a good thing Tristan's not here. He'd be furious. <laughs> well, Tristan's motto is that everyone needs a monkey. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody needs a monkey in their lives. According to him, I disagree, but it works for him. So, hey, I'm not one to judge. So, what do you guys think about kind of drilling down to this? psychologically damaging moment that happens to Janeway and it informing what we see on the show. Does it work for you guys? Oh, yes and no. I mean, it's definitely a devastating event, right? But the way that she handles it, where she's lying in bed for how long and it takes her sister throwing a bucket of ice on the bed to kind of finally throw her outside. That's the ALS ice bucket challenge. Yeah, Come the, on. They, they, that's still going on in the 21st yeah. century? It must wow. be. And, and Phoebe was aware. You would think aware. that they would have cured that disease by, by now with their 24th century medicine. Well, you know, as we talked about with uh, the macrocosm episode, maybe this is just like a super bug that has mutated over the centuries. So mm. it's not quite the same thing. Could be. It's a newer, more virulent strain. And I so they so. still have to do the ice bucket challenge. So Phoebe's doing her part, but unfortunately, her sister Catherine is the victim, not not Phoebe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm somebody who has gone through clinical depression, has had to seek treatment. There are times when I really do not want to get out of bed in times where that's really bad. But do I do it? No, I don't feel like I can. Something makes Catherine feel like she, I don't know, I don't want to say has the right, but wants to do that indefinitely. And so I would have rather had her kind of pick her up from her bootstraps and find that strength from within rather than externally. And I would have probably, like my respect would have gone up even further just from relating to to the state of mind that she has to crawl herself out of. I get it. You have to pick up the pieces. It's hard. But an ice bucket challenge isn't the way to go about it. I'm with you, Char, you know, in, in some ways, having been through uh, really bad, depressive times in my life and, and, you know, having to go through, see a therapist, you know, go through therapy. And, That's the other thing. And Where a, was the yeah, counselor? The, exactly. That was one of the things I thought was interesting that, that is missing in this this series of events. But what I did like about it was the fact that it seemed kind of nice for Star Trek to admit that you can't just like go to therapy for three sessions with counselor Troy and everything's gonna be fine. Like this did take a long time to, for her to get over. And, um, you know, even as strong as Janeway becomes, we all need other people in our lives to, to come in and like kick us out of bed basically and, and make us get up and make us keep going. And, and, um, that's what I think that, was the other thing that really kind of galvanizes her as this character that we see later on down the road. It's why she is so devoted to the family of Voyager is because they are her people around her, you know, like Mm -hmm. they become her people. This is, this is really, we're supposed to view this as a family. And she realizes too, that she 
has to be the one to keep them safe. And the other thing that we end up learning later on is that for a lot of the show until the fifth season, when they're going through the midnight and she's all depressed again, who is it that comes in there and she has to be picked up again, you know, get somebody to kind of drag her out of that. Yeah, I don't know. Matt, you're making a good point here. Uh, Maybe sometimes it is good for somebody to kind of budge in and say, hey, look, I'm taking you by the hand and you're going to get out of here for a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, I kind of want to take back what I said just a moment ago. Maybe if you are that broken and devastated, you do need some sort of external influence. But I guess what I wanted was that, I don't know, helping Janeway rebuild her strength from within as well. I just didn't see that develop, like not talking to a counselor and uh, just really not, I don't know, I don't want to say not learning from the experience, more like being damaged by the experience because it shapes the way that she does things in the future. And then, of course, yeah, she's prone to depression and we see that again in the show and it's like she hasn't learned anything from it. And so, I think it's the difference between what we see happen in Protectors by Kirsten Beyer and what we see here happen in Mosaic. Um, Kirsten really does, I think, a great job of breaking down Catherine Mm -hmm. finally so that she can rebuild herself because she's built up a lot of really bad habits to to handle the emotional trauma that she's been through through her life. Um, Losing those people in her life and, and her father and, and her, uh, the survivor's guilt that she has with that. She has this, the survivor's guilt of the people that she lost from the Delta Quadrant, from getting them stuck there because of the decision she made. Um, she has the, the survivor's guilt ending up of having, you know, 63 billion lives on her hands because of what the Borg did, because of what she did, and what, you know, future Janeway had done, Admiral Janeway. So, I mean, this is a woman who ends up carrying the weight of the universe on her and she finally needs a way to to make it free and and that's where the the crafting of a a a really skilled author like kirsten changes the character of janeway for the better and it could have been that way here with with jerry and this book but the problem is again you're butting up against the fact that you you can't fix kathy all the way because, sure. well, then what do you do on the show? You know, yeah, um, that's yeah. what we ran into on The Next Generation. You know, we have all these really perfect characters who never grow. Um, what we need in, in Voyager, and they took a little bit of this, where you had your imperfect characters like Torres and, and Tom and, you know, Chakotay. All these characters you wanted to see can actually move forward. It just doesn't really necessarily always materialize with what we get through the later seasons. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the things is that this is an okay book for what it's trying to do. We all right. see how it could have been done better, though. Yeah. It, yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, Protectors really holds Janeway accountable, and I love that because, man, does everything come full circle for her. And I don't want Janeway to be a perfect character by any means because she gets labeled as a Mary Sue so much anyway. Yeah, like you said, Matthew, I think this it does a good enough job for what it's set up to do, but could be a better book. It could be a better story. And we could learn more about Janeway. But again, I've always just seen this book as providing that background. How did she get to where she is now? Why does she act the way that she does? And where can we take her later on? And so just on that level, I think it works okay. But I agree with you guys on on all the points you've been discussing here. You know, you'd like to see her handle those things a little bit differently. Well, Chris, if, if you were going to give a rating to the book, what would you give Mosaic as a rating? God, I'd just give it one head of better hair. Oh, man. That's a That's big a head rating, of hair. Yeah. What about you, Shar? Like I said earlier, the more that I read this book and the more time that goes by, the less highly I regard it. When it came out, it was five stars. No problem. Now I'd probably give it maybe three and a half. I still love it. I still enjoy it. But it doesn't quite have the same impact for me as it once did. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel too. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely with you. I, I think I'd probably give it two and a half buns of steel. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll go for the uh, soccer mom bobs. There you go. Nice. <laughs> We're all about it. It's the hair. an all hair rating. <laughs> you know, 
I was thinking about if someone asked me, should they read this book? It, it's a complex question for me. And so I gave it, you know, one head of better hair. If I were giving it stars out of 10, I'd probably give it about five. And the way I feel about it is that if you love the character of Janeway, this is an absolute must read book for you. You have to read this mm-hmm. book. Agreed. If you love Voyager, then you'll still enjoy this book as a Voyager story. And if you're, if you like Voyager, okay, but you're not a big fan of Voyager, and especially if you're not a fan of the Janeway character, I think that you would find this book to be quite boring. So mm-hmm. it really depends on how you feel about Voyager, first of all, but more importantly, how you feel about Janeway. Because if you love Voyager, but you love Tom Paris most of all, or you love Chakotay most of all, or Balana, then you're probably still going to get a little bit bored with the narrative about Janeway's life here. You should read Pathways then. Right. Also written by Jerry Taylor. Which we will definitely have you back for because it's a must. Because again, like you said, another Jerry Taylor novel. You know, I do have to say Tom did get to do some pretty cool things in here. Uh, He gets to enter orbit from warp. Mm Yeah. So he warps into a system and enters orbit from warp. Like, Talk about a good pilot, you know. That guy's awesome. <laughs> He's yeah, the best he damn pilot you can have. He stepping over chairs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd be unstoppable. One other thing I did like about this book that I found really interesting had nothing to do with Janeway, but just all the talk about Mars, for example. Oh, you know, yeah, that Olympus was really cool. Olympus Mines and the fact that there's this whole network of caves underneath it. And that kind of stuff I thought was really interesting because those are areas that don't get fleshed out enough in Star Trek, I think, that help make the universe feel more real. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, that's something that we can relate to. We, we're exploring Mars right now. And in the future, the idea that there's caves that you can swim and that Mars is habitable, that seems like a natural progression and an interesting one. We want to know about that. Yeah. Well, Char, I'm, I'm really glad that you got to come on and talk this with us I, we couldn't have done mosaic without you it's it's Aww. it would just be that anathema sense. for us to do something so silly so <laughs> i'm really glad that you made it here why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online okay well thanks again for having me guys because this was a lot of fun and i really en- i did enjoy uh talking mosaic with you guys even if maybe we got a little we came down hard on this book i feel like we did but rightfully so i think it's a fair and honest criticism right we didn't say it's a bad book We just talked about how it could have been better and how it differs today compared to when we first read it. Because I think when we first read it, we all said we would have given it five stars, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, perspective is a very different thing with this book as time has gone on. Yeah. Well, you can find me with my co-host Tristan Riddell on To The Journey. To The Journey! Journey! Yes, where we do talk everything and anything Voyager. New episodes drop on Thursdays, so if you're a Voyager fan, you haven't checked that out, what are you waiting for? Go do that right as soon as this episode is done. And then also you can find me on Twitter, and my handle is oh the profanity. Is is there profanity? Uh <laughs> <laughs> <Here. gasps> Oh God. All right. Well thanks again, Shark. Oh, thank you very much, guys. Good night. Well, Matthew, I am so glad Char was able to drop by today. I I knew we would have fun talking about Mosaic, but I knew that it would be 10 times more fun if we had Char here. Chris, I think that that should be her her just motto. 10 times more fun with Char. <laughs> because every show that I'm on when I'm with her is, is a yeah. lot more fun. And I really enjoy the fact that we got to talk to one of our resident Voyager experts about a really pivotal Voyager book. Exactly. And uh, I'm seeing now a, a new Trek FM t-shirt. Ten times more fun with Char. I love it. I want that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed hearing about Mosaic, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, uh, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. 
you know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written into the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you know. a chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a war-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. It was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than let's say one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity there is also room for hope literary treks I, I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her you know I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son continuing mission you're watching the man trap and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany... Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical... The, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic Treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. You know, thankfully, it resonated with Alec and, and Christian. And you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're in iTunes. We're on Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, BlackBerry, Windows Phone. You can stream from the website or download the MP3 file from there or grab the RSS link and put that into any application that you like. And also, while you're getting your podcast, please take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear what you think about the show, and that also helps other fans of Star Trek books and comics find literary treks as they're searching through the iTunes store or those other sources like Stitcher, where you can also leave reviews. Another way that you can help us out beyond leaving a review is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekafilm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekafilm, you'll find our current goals, you'll find milestone contribution levels, and all the great perks that we have for you in exchange for your support, which as we mentioned up in news, does include a chance to sit in on the live recording of the show. So go check that out at patreon.com slash trekafilm, and we hope you'll join the team and help us keep the shows coming to you every day and every week. Now, if you'd like to share feedback on today's show, let us know what you think about Mosaic. You can get in touch with us in many ways. Of course, you can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Literary Trek. So that'll come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also find us in our listeners group on Facebook. That's called the Babel Conference. It's a replacement for the forums that we used to have on the website. And we have a lot of members over there now. I think we've got 200-something people there now, Matthew, talking to us all the time about Star Trek. Chris, it's been fantastic. And if you're a listener and you haven't joined the Babel Conference, I really encourage you to do so. Because the conversations that we're having there, they're not you know, just silly, you know, goofy conversations. We've gotten to some really deep issues involving Star Trek 
and the conversation has been so respectful and just and really informative. I love it. I love being there every single day. Yeah, it has been like a transition from the way we talk about things on the shows to a transition where we talk about that with all the listeners as well, which I really, really love. And I'm glad that everyone has maintained that level of conversation there, which is really important to me. So join us there. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website and click discussion up on the menu bar. Those will both take you there. It is a closed group, so you need to click join, and then I'll let you write on in, and we'll see you there. And if you use other types of social media like Twitter, you'll find us there. Our username is TrekFM. You can also send us a voicemail. Just go to speakpipe.com slash trekafilm. That's the word speak and the word pipe. And you can also find that in the left sidebar on our website, on the show page. You'll see the tool for that. And you can use the microphone on your webcam or your tablet or your smartphone to record a message to us and upload it to us as an MP3 file. And I'd really love to hear your voice and hear what you think that way as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not staring into the mirror, you know, playing with your hair, trying to make sure that it always looks better than Janeway's. Where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with you where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And we do that exclusively because it's called The Orb. So I hope you'll join us there. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make it clear. You know, we want people to know what they're getting into. It's that kind of orb. Yeah, that kind of orb. The ones Um, from Bajor. Right, exactly. From the prophets or wormhole aliens, however you like to look at them. And of course, Chris, you can find me these days doing the 602 Club, where we just get together with uh, friends from the network and hosts from around the network as well, talk about all things geeky. So hopefully you'll join me there. Now, Chris, when you're not taking dangerous dives into the weird, crazy pools of Mars, getting lost in caves and and coming out looking like a madman, where can we find you? (laughs) That was kind of a fun part of the book, which we did. It really was, yeah. So everyone read the book and uh, you'll find out what we're talking about there as Janeway goes diving on Mars. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. I hang out in the Babel Conference all the time. So again, come join that group and I'd love to talk about Star Trek with you there. And then elsewhere on the network, you can find me on lots of different shows, of course, with Matthew on the Orb, as we just said, as well as on Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, and the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Axanar creator and executive producer Alec P. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show and remind you that you can pick up Mosaic absolutely free. If you're not already a customer at audible.com, go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up today. Pick up Mosaic and listen to at least the Delta Quadrant side of the story. There's some of the other stuff in there as well. But you get to hear it in Kate Mulgrew's voice, and I find that really interesting because it is the story of Janeway, and hearing it in Kate Mulgrew's voice really helps bring it to life. So I recommend reading this book as text as well as listening to it, and you can get the audio version absolutely free as a Trek FM listener at audibletrial.com slash trekafilm, and when you support them, it really helps us keep the show coming to you every week. So I hope you'll check them out, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Very is, good. is there <laughs> profanity? What? Is there profanity? Uh, mommy, mommy, look, yeah. She claims okay, okay. there is, but <laughs> I don't hear it very often. So, fuck. Very happy. We'll just use we'll use R two D two to beef her out. <laughs> <laughs> and then C three PO going, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Very nice. I don't think oh, they're God. gonna let us in, R two. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that do that awesome. do exactly that please <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks again Char. oh thank you very much guys good night